The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, thoughts on employment and rehabilitation, plus a visit with ACB President Mitch Pomerantz. Welcome to ACB Reports for January 2008. Happy New Year. Gil Johnson is the director of the San Francisco office of the American Foundation for the Blind. During the ACB National Convention in Minneapolis last summer, he shared his thoughts on the new expectations and approaches to rehabilitation of people who are blind. What I want to talk about this morning is what I think is critical issues, the changes in expectations of employers and changes in rehabilitation's approach to working with employers. I want to talk about what I believe needs to be a shift in how we are thinking about and approaching employment. I want to talk about some significant shifts in today's workforce, talk about critical skills, non-job related skills that applicants and employees need to have, and finally, What I think is occurring is a major shift in how rehabilitation agencies are doing their work. Professionals and consumers for many years have rightly focused on barriers to employment. We can list them, there have been books written about them, articles. The ADA was passed to try to address some of those barriers and it's had kind of mixed success, I would say. But I think that we need to shift our focus to some extent to be looking at a better understanding of the needs that employers have, what they need when they're recruiting, and the kinds of skills that people need to come into the workplace with. It's looking at is the glass half empty or is the glass, what can we do to fill the glass up? Unfortunately, in spite of a lot of federal and state and private money spent in community rehabilitation agencies and state agencies, and in spite of advances, significant advances in technology, which have opened up a whole range of jobs that weren't available before. The employment rate for blind and visually impaired folks and others with disabilities as well, we're not alone, has not changed. As a matter of fact, there's some pretty substantial evidence to indicate that the employment rate may actually be declining. And that's kind of disheartening. Makes me think of a a little quote that uh, probably many of you have seen. If we always do what we've always done, we will always get what we've always got. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I really believe that we have to make some changes in what we do. We've done some pretty good work, but it hasn't made a difference so far. So I think we need to be paying more attention to understanding employers, the workplace, uh, the competition, the challenges that employers are facing. We need to understand better the skills that they need from today's employees We have sometimes, and I'm one of them, have kind of cast employers into the role of the enemy, the adversary. That doesn't work. Some employers deserve that. There's no question about it. But many do not. And 
I'll talk a little bit more about why I think more employers will be coming to realize the uh, potential of hiring people with disabilities. Probably many of you have read or heard about or thought about some of the significant changes that are occurring in today's labor market. Certainly there's a higher competition between mid-sized and large corporations as we evolve into a worldwide economy. The small businesses that many of us have cherish a great deal and have had success in getting people to work for are still viable, clearly. But there, too, is a lot of competition as well as at the corporate level. And, of course, one of those things that this means is that employees, even more than was true in the past, are going to be hired and retained if they are contributing to the bottom line, the shareholders' profit. And with the heightened competition, that is really more and more critical. We certainly have read and know a lot about offshoring and outsourcing to other countries, jobs that blind and visually impaired people have been performing for a number of years here are now being outsourced to China and India. And that's strictly for economic reasons. Information that I've read will say that you can hire someone at about 25% of the cost in India to perform certain jobs uh, that you could in the United States. Another change that has been going on for many years, but is certainly coming to a head now, is a shift from an agricultural and manufacturing economy to a service economy. Perversely enough, what has happened is that there's a downsizing, an elimination of a number of jobs in certain areas and vacancies in many others. There are jobs that employers simply cannot fill because they can't find the qualified people to do so. And this is going to be heightened because of another factor, and that's the retirement of baby boomers. Employers are beginning to understand that they're facing in the next five to ten years, a very critical shortage of skilled, capable workers as some of us get close enough to be able to bail out of the employment market. And that's going to make it even more difficult for them to recruit, and it certainly is an opportunity for us. Some of the things I've been talking about, I've been touching on, it is the characteristics of the global workforce and the shift, uh, the outsourcing and offshoring, there's, a, I think, a very excellent book called The World is Flat by Thomas Friedman. It's available from NLS. Uh, of course, Amazon has it as well. And it's probably not a bedtime reading book, but it really is illuminating because it's talking about a global economy and how that's unstoppable. Next, I want to talk about some of the, the skills that employers are saying today that they require. And these are skills not job-specific skills, but so-called soft skills. Now, this has always been critical, but it's even more critical today, um, we think. And they kind of fall into two categories, what would be called employability skills and personal values. All of these you've heard before, but I think it's critical that we think about these if we're looking for jobs to construct a resume that highlights the abilities that they have with these soft skills. 
employability skills, so-called employability, communication skills, listening, verbal, and written, those three. Analytic skills, the ability to analyze things. Computer technology literacy. It's not just enough to say, you know, I use a computer. You have to be literate with that computer. It has to be your friend. As much as I hate computers, <laughs> and I do, you have to be conversant with them in today's labor market. Spreadsheets, word processing, web browsing, email, on and on, you name it. Flexibility and adaptability, particularly in today's labor market where flexibility, multitasking, if you will, are very necessary skills to have because as things tighten down, as competition increases, an employee is called upon to do more and more things than they were 10 or 15 years ago. Interpersonal skills, the ability to relate to coworkers, always has been, and blind people I think generally do pretty well at that, understanding how important it is that coworkers can be supportive and helpful to them, but you have to treat them well, you have to respect them, you have to maybe go out and have a drink with them now and again to form the kinds of friendships that you need on the job. Leadership, where that's called for, uh, leadership and management skills, in today's labor market, the multicultural sensitivity is a very key issue. I don't know what the percentage is in the United States of so-called minorities in the workforce, Asian, Hispanics, African American. In California, those so-called minorities are the majority. Everything I read says that that will be true in the country in not too distant a future. Problem solving. Teamwork, being able to work with others in a cooperative way. Personal values, again, have always been important. Honesty, integrity. The employer needs to know that they can trust the people they're working for them. Dedication, being able to, willing to work hard, being tenacious, working longer hours. Dependability, coming there when you say you're going to. Loyalty, positive attitude, the ability to learn. Self-confidence reminds me of another quote. I, I like these little quotes to kind of slip in. If you think you can, you're right. If you think you can't, you're right. <laughs> There's a lot in that message. You're right. <laughs> Finally, I think there is beginning to be and uh, will continue to be a shift in how rehabilitation agencies, state rehabilitation agencies, are working to partner with employers, seeing them more as a customer. About two years ago, a year and a half ago, I had the privilege of serving on a national group to write a monograph looking at the vocational rehabilitation private sector business partnership. It really lays out the case for considering a prospective employer as a customer. So rehabilitation is beginning to see that it has two customers of equal importance, the disabled job seeker and the employer. And this is a major shift.
As some of you will know, traditionally, when I was a rehabilitation counselor, you know, we all went out and met with employers and kept our own accounts, and sometimes we're good with working with employers and sometimes not. But we kind of kept it private. If we developed some job leads, we didn't share them. In the last 10 to 15 years, one significant shift is that rehabilitation counselors today will say that their job does not include working with employers. Now, this bothers me some, but it is what people are saying and thinking, and there's some good reasons for it. A lot more duties that the counselor has, and the recognition that working with employers and counseling people are very different skills. And some of us tried to think we could do both, and maybe we did. But if you go back to what I was saying about the worldwide competition in the workforce, it isn't what it was 20 or 30 years ago to work with an employer, to understand their needs and issues. And so as a result of this kind of moving away from face-to-face -face interaction with employers, community agencies, independent service providers have been contracted to do this work. As a result, employers are being bombarded with a number of, of agents, job developers, call them what you will, coming to talk with them about their clients, their caseload, their particular interests. And they're more and more saying, we're not going to do that. We don't have the time or the patience or the ability to deal with five or ten placement specialists all telling their story, all legitimately so. If we're dealing with rehabilitation, we want one point of contact a single point of contact for a state agency. Now, it isn't quite what that sounds like, because if a state rehab agency central office appoints a person or two or a, a unit to be liaison with a particular corporation, that person isn't going to have contact with job-ready clients. That has got to be handed down. But as it is, when it is handed down, pass on to the counselor, that counselor then becomes that point of contact, that single point of contact. And that's what employers are saying it must be. There are a number of states that are beginning to make this shift. North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, Massachusetts, state of Washington, just to name a few. There are significant advantages in working with employers in this way, because if a placement is made and it's successful, if it's done well, the possible jobs that can be opened in that corporation are, could be immense, not only within the state, but across the country. It means that the point of contact person, whoever that is, really needs to understand and appreciate the perspective of the employer. Now, this approach creates some particular challenges, I think, for rehabilitation agencies serving blind, vision impaired folks. Whether it be a commission or a division for the blind with a specialized unit or an agency that's part of an umbrella agency, whatever the structure is, this has to be built in. If it's a, if it's a commission, then the commission needs to begin to designate staff to serve as the liaison to national companies. If the blindness agency is part of a general agency, they need to interact and deal with 
the general agency's point of contact people, keeping them in mind of blind clients, blind applicants, so that we don't get left out. Because I really believe this is a major shift, and we haven't seen too much of it yet, but I think in the next three to five years we will. So I guess it kind of is summed up in another reading. I thank God I live in a country where dreams can come true, where failure sometimes is the first step to success, and where success is only another form of failure if we forget what our priorities are. Two resources that, I, that you may all well know about that I want to just remind you of. One is uh, the American Foundation for the Blind. Funny, I should mention that, right? Um, our website, probably many of you are familiar with a section called Career Connect. Thank you. I like that. This is a section where we have over a thousand blind and visually impaired people who are employed and who are, have agreed to serve as advisors, mentors, if you will, for job seekers, those who are trying to figure out their career paths. We also have a lot of information directed, specifically written toward employers, toward professionals in the field, and certainly, as I say, toward family members and, and consumers. The second is an agency that's been around a long time, most of you know of, that's the Hadley School for the Blind. All right. Hadley, as probably most of you know, hired a new director about a year and a half ago, a guy named Chuck Young. Chuck was the director of the Commission for the Blind in Oregon for about 20 years. I've worked closely with Chuck. There's nobody any more committed to understanding and believing in the capabilities of blind people than Chuck Young. They've always had some distance learning courses on employment. They're adding more. Check the uh, Hadley website and uh, you'll find more information about that. Thank you. That was Gil Johnson, director of the San Francisco office of the American Foundation for the Blind, recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To send comments and suggestions about this program, send an email message to reports at acbradio.org or write to American Council of the Blind, 1155 15th Street, Northwest, Suite 1004, Washington, D.C., 20005. Each year, usually during mid-February, the presidents of many state and special interest affiliates of the American Council of the Blind gather for a weekend informational meeting. This year, that meeting will be held in Washington, D.C., and it will be combined with the mid-year meeting of the ACB Board of Directors and the annual legislative seminar. During a recent conversation, ACB President Mitch Pomerantz discussed the goals of this meeting. What we've traditionally tried to do over the years is to offer an opportunity for the presidents to bring back to their affiliates information that they can use to uh, enhance and improve uh, the affiliate activities. I've got some calls to make to uh, secure presenters, but uh, 
couple of weeks ago, we put out a notice on the uh, leadership list soliciting from the presidents their input, the kinds of activities they'd like, the kinds of program sessions they'd like to see. So we're incorporating some of those and then uh, some other ideas that I've put together, and we hope uh, Saturday and the first half of Sunday to have a, a well-rounded program that uh, presidents will feel is worth their time and effort. Now, is the ACB board meeting at the same time? We are going to hold the board meeting on Friday, February 8th, all day, and then Saturday morning from probably 8.30 to 10.30 if necessary. We're not going to start the president's meeting until 11 o'clock Saturday morning. We're going to have a very busy day on Friday and, uh, if need be, uh, for a couple hours on Saturday morning. How many affiliates take part in the president's meeting? It varies from year to year and, and location to location, but more than half of our affiliates uh, send a representative. The meeting will be held in the D.C. area, is that correct? Yeah, it'll be at the Plaza Hotel in Washington, D.C. The board meeting is Friday, February 8th, and we will carry through Tuesday the 12th with the uh, visit to uh, Capitol Hill. So it's a combined meeting this year with uh, everything happening back-to-back. So if you're there for one, stay for the other. Absolutely, and it's been an item of considerable debate and discussion over the past couple of years uh, regarding which format folks preferred. This year, our original plan was not to do it that way, but uh, circumstances uh, just did not allow for that. Congress uh, is going to be taking their president's break and uh, Easter and uh, the way things uh, came down. We just felt that uh, we needed to put everything together in early February, and that's what we're doing. Do you want to talk about uh, the issues that we'll be talking about with the legislative seminar? Usually those issues aren't decided quite this early, uh, only because it's uh, not absolutely certain what Congress will be looking at. I suspect, uh, based on some discussions uh, that I've been a part of or certainly aware of, I think the future of the Randolph-Shepard program may come up. Uh, and I won't mention any names quite yet, but it does look like we have a pretty firm commitment from a candidate for Congress who happens to be blind as our luncheon speaker on Monday. The main issue during the board meeting or for the board meeting Friday is going to be the ACB budget. We have had uh, a very good 2007. We received a sizable amount dollar-wise in terms of bequests. And uh, a lot of funds, uh, I think, will be uh, able to carry over to 2008. So our budget committee certainly is going to be mindful of uh, a fiscally responsible budget, but uh, we may be able to address some things that we've not been able to uh, deal with in the past couple of three years. We're looking at, for Saturday, for the president's meeting, a panel on recruitment, a panel on fundraising, some discussion on uh, how to write and promote uh, press releases and getting better press coverage. We may also have a uh, discussion of uh, some of our ACB committees. There was a request to uh, you know, talk about what some of the ACB committees are all about. So we're going to have a variety of uh, topics Saturday and first part of Sunday for the President's meeting. 
the electronic uh, registration form is up on the website. And if folks who are hearing this, who aren't presidents, want to attend, they're certainly welcome. Contact the ACB office and get a registration form sent to them in uh, you know, however they'd like to have that. And we should also mention that many people come in for the legislative seminar portion of the meeting, which means they don't have to be there at the beginning of the president's meeting necessarily. That's correct. What's been your big challenge in the first six months, and what do you think your big accomplishment has been? Well, I think the challenge has been building uh, the confidence and the trust in the leadership that I campaigned on. I think we're making strides. We've had uh, three office hour sessions, and uh, we've had uh, probably 15 to 20 participants on each of those calls. And I suppose the thing that I'd like to point to for the first six months is we are actually soliciting candidates for our director of development position. We're getting that funded, and uh, we expect by March 1st, perhaps a little later than that, we're going to have an individual in the ACB national office who will devote their time exclusively to raising funds for the American Council of the Blind, and I'm very pleased that the Board of Directors was so supportive of that initiative. We received unanimous support for that, and we're going to see that come to fruition within the next uh, two to three months. Talk briefly about office hours. Uh, What is it? When is the next one? What I did during the campaign was to have folks contact me via telephone or email, and we basically answered questions and discussed issues. When I became elected, we felt that the best way to approach this was every six weeks to two months, get onto our 800 telephone service and uh, have folks call in and have a discussion about ACB, things that concern them, things they wanted to see us try to accomplish. And I have included on the first three calls another member of the ACB Board of Directors. So we have uh, just taken calls and talked to folks. The next one may have already occurred, uh, depending on when this is going out, because I'm planning to do one in early January. Depends on my uh, travel schedule, but we're trying to do it every six weeks to two months. Most of the people who hear this probably will miss the uh, January office hours, but there will be one probably uh, late March or something like that. And yeah, they we're, are... we're going to do it on a regular basis. It's been uh, it's been very popular, and I think it's another activity which allows the members to connect with the president, with other board members so that people recognize that this is their organization as as much as it is the leaders of the organization. Right, and those are announced to the presidents and to the leadership list, so check with your local affiliate if you want to take part in it. You mentioned 15 to 20 people taking part in the uh, previous ones. I'm sure that there's been a core group of people who have participated each time, but hopefully you've had some variety in the uh, participants and the geographic regions and so forth. Yeah, it's been about half and half. We've had a core group, but we also get uh, six to eight new folks uh, each call. That was Mitch Pomerantz, president of the American Council of the Blind. Next month, Eric Bridges from the ACB National Office will talk about the legislative seminar portion of this event. 
You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide, on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition, and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports. Connecting the blind community around the world, this is ACB Radio. 